Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Nehemiah as we continue in a series entitled Under Pressure. Nehemiah chapter 13. We're just going to read a few verses, not all 31, but I will make reference to all of the verses. Well, maybe not all of them, but the different sections as we move along in the Word today. Preaching a message entitled, The Nehemiah Anointing. Hallelujah. Are you ready? Nehemiah chapter 13. Let's read verse 1. Are you all there? Say amen. Few people still turning there. Greetings to all of our online congregation and those tuned in by podcast. We're so thankful that you're here. Praise the Lord. If you have not had the opportunity of going to our website, you can go to kcalaska.com and on there is the weekly announcements. If you're like, what time was that? You can go onto the website and it'll not only be listed there, but you'll also see. Uh, the video announcements that are uploaded there. Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 1. You ready? Let's read the word of the Lord. On that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people. And there, was, there it was found written that no Amorite or Moabite should ever be admitted to the assembly of God. Because they had not met with, the, with Israelites with food and water but had hired Balaam to call a curse down on them. Our God, however, turned the curse into a blessing. Somebody say hallelujah. And when the people heard this law, they excluded from Israel all who were of foreign descent. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you're going to do this morning. Come on, if you have the freedom to pray in your spirit, in the spirit, just go ahead and do that right now. Hallelujah. We thank you. We praise you and glorify you for what you're going to do in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You may be seated. We do have notes for you today, and you can go ahead and uh, lift your hands or your feet or stand up and turn around. They'll bring them to you. The Nehemiah anointing. We've been uh, in the midst of a fast, and uh, we are fasting for God to do many, many things. One of the things that I've been believing God during this time of fasting and praying is that God would raise up leaders, that God would raise up people, uncompromised, people of character. And I think one of the difficult things uh, as we... How many of you know every one of us are influencing somebody? How many of you know everyone here, everyone online, Everyone on the earth has some sphere of influence. It might be one person, but it might be 50 or 500 or 5,000. Everybody here has a sphere of influence. So that making you really a potential leader. Well, you're leading in some capacity. Whether you're leading rightly before God or not, you're leading by example or the words or the actions that you take. And one of the most difficult things as being a leader is to remain faithful to God's Word and to preach messages and to declare things. Now, how many of you all know that if, if you're a leader, if, you're, if you have influence and you're a preacher? Come on. It, it's a, it, the, the, the man of God, um, Augustine, said the greatest message ever preached is the life lived. I think it should be lived, absolutely. You should also use your words and preach it. All of us are having influence and If you look at the great revivals throughout the Word of God, as well as in modern history, in the first great awakening, you had men like Jonathan Edwards, 
You had men like Whitfield. And they were not only on fire preaching Jesus, uncompromised, preaching against sin and the glory of God and the power of God and laying hands on the sick. They not only did that, but they were also reformers of society. They changed the very world in which they lived. And God has not just called us to be a people who are free from our sin, which is a great thing. I don't want to under, minimize that. He's called us to be like Nehemiah, who's gone and, and brought change to the whole, the whole society of, of Israel. The second great awakening, Finney and Moody, others, they, they were reformers of society. God is bringing a third great awakening. I believe that. But it will not happen without people who stand up, who rise up, and become like a Nehemiah, like a Whitfield, like a, like a Jonathan Edwards, if you will, and, and not only stand for the truth of the Word of God, but declare it and live it and change not only their families, but their whole, their whole society. Everybody say, we're called to be transformers. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about the, the things that morph into become some. I'm talking about somebody that shows up and changes where they're at. We're called to be a reformer. Everybody say, I'm called to be a reformer. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15, it says that you may be blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine like lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. God's called us to be people who shine, as it says in Matthew 5 verse 14, that you are the light of the world, Jesus said. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they take a lamp and put it under a basket or under a bushel, but put it on a lampstand. That's who we are. We're caused to be, called to be people who bring forth light in the midst of the darkness. Who are called to be a people who bring forth reformation. Who bring forth transformation. Literally by the way that we live. And that's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah chapter 13. Now, we didn't read the whole thing. I'd encourage you to read chapter 8. chapter read, read the whole book. Read the whole thing. But chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11, all, all the way through chapter 13 are tremendous. And the context of what's taking place here is that Nehemiah is, well, he's, he's a reformer. And he's gone ahead and left his job as the cupbearer to the king. And he traveled and he, to rebuild the walls, which, which he did. Look, look at your notes. Jeremiah prophesied that Israel would go into captivity in Babylon for 70 years. And that's about 606 B.C. to 5, 536 B.C. But they would return. Prophesied that in Jeremiah 29.11. They called him Crazy Jerry. They stuck him in a pit. Tortured him, basically. He said, oh yeah, they're coming. And they had false prophets with lying spirits testify that there was going to be great blessing and it's all going to be good. But it was not true. God gave the word of the Lord through Jeremiah that they would be taken captive. And, and Isaiah prophesied they would, once, they would return and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, Isaiah 44 verse 28 about Cyrus. And the building of the temple was, the temple complex was including in I mean, it was this massive, massive undertaking. The whole temple was destroyed. The walls were burned with fire. After seven years of captivity, God sent Israel back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. It's, it's actually really pretty amazing. Daniel prophesied in Babylon during that period of time. 
and he read from the scrolls of Jeremiah that there was 70 years of captivity, and so he set himself to pray. This is Daniel reading the word of Jeremiah, sets himself to pray. You can study about the fall of Babylon. Some said that it was impossible that it would fall. It was this mega city. You could have chariot races on tops of its wall, on tops of the walls. It had over a hundred gates. There was no way to take down Babylon in the natural. They just had too too much provision, too many resources. But there was this guy, Cyrus. Some say, if you study it, that he actually read or was told about Isaiah prophesying about him years before and got the strategy about how to take out Babylon. What they did was they, they closed the gates of the river that was like a moat that went around the city and they crossed through and through the gates were left open that night. How many of you, if you lived in the hood, would not leave your door unlocked? Hello. You're, let, let, come on, you're driving through a rough part of town. How many of you have your doors locked? All four of you? How many of you have your door? You're going to lock, you know, you're in a neighborhood where there's maybe potentially dangerous. You're going to lock your doors, you you know. Why would the gates of Babylon be left up? I'm going to tell you why. It was that very night, if you study this out, that that the, the, the king sees his hand appears and writes on the wall, many, many tequila praise him, and they don't know what it means. So they call Daniel in. It's the very night. They call Daniel and Daniel gives the prophetic word, says you've been weighed and found lacking. And this night, this night, the king will be taken from your hands. And it says that the king's knees knocked together. They had fellowship one with another. They were so freaked out by the miraculous hand that appeared out of nowhere and the prophetic word that they forgot to even lower the gates. That's what I think happened. And Cyrus came in and they took Babylon and Babylon fell. And Cyrus gave the Cyrus decree sending the children of Israel back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, which they did. Now Zerubbabel... Well, let me, let me read this to you. Seventy years of captivity, God sends, sent Israel back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city and the temple. And he used two governors in a special way. Zerubbabel, some of you heard about him. Zechariah 4, you can read about Zerubbabel. And Nehemiah was the one. Zerubbabel finished the building of the temple in 515 B.C. And Nehemiah, years later, restored the walls around Jerusalem. In fact, did it in 52 days. And he had a lot of opposition. God is calling America to rebuild the walls of truth. God is calling you and I to rebuild the walls of truth and to be reformers. But it will not happen without opposition. And so Nehemiah had opposition, but he was able to overcome. Come on, somebody say he overcame. Come on, say I'm overcoming. And he called Israel to purity. Uh, Ezra came nearly 60 years after Zerubbabel completed the temple. And Nehemiah's first visit, he had two visits. Nehemiah's first visit came about 13 years after Ezra and 70 years after the temple was finished. So in other words, the temple was done, but they never fixed the walls, which was their, their protective fortress that kept marauders out. And so Zerubbabel and Nehemiah's reforms were built around corporate this corporate time of worship and to restore purity. 
Nehemiah 12, let me read this to you, verse 47. In the days of Zerubbabel, in the days of Nehemiah, all of Israel gave portions for the singers and the gatekeepers and a portion for each day. They, they, they gathered Israel and basically commanded them to tithe and commanded them to give to support the work of the temple, which they weren't doing at that point. So after, the, after Nehemiah finished building the walls, rebuilding the walls with teams, he did with families. It's kind of a tremendous picture for us in the New Testament. Finished it in 445 B.C. He and Ezra led the nation to make a covenant with God to obey all his commands. And you can read about that in Nehemiah chapter 10. The covenant was signed by leaders, and the rest of the people expressed their agreement they were so moved that they had a celebration. I mean, they had like a revival outbreak. It's really revival. It's what it is. They're so excited about obeying God, they just freaked out. And in, those, in that agreement, they emphasized four specific commands, this national agreement, this covenant, which they really should have been doing already, but they gotten away from the Word. They gave a particular attention to these four things, and I want to talk about those four things. You say, why would, why would Nehemiah define or emphasize these four areas that they needed to obey? Well, I think the reason he did, as I prayed and I read through these texts, is that it's these four areas that if you do them in your family, you do them, if we do them in the church, if we do them in our community, we will have a reformation. We will have a transformation. It's really pretty simple. Come on, somebody say it's simple. We've got to insist on obeying these four commands in our families, in, our, in, in the church. We have, to in, we have to insist on it. Now, the terminology is different in different passages. The terminology is different, different words used in different scriptures. But the application is basically the same. And it's the application of these four things that has been used throughout history to bring revival. So I have this national celebration, Nehemiah 12. Let's look at the text. Now, the text of, of Nehemiah 13, he confronts the people. The first promise, so the first thing that they covenanted to do to obey God was, the first thing is not to marry unbelievers. Everybody say, not to marry unbelievers. So they promised to not marry unbelievers, to uphold God's standard for the family. You can read about it in Nehemiah 10, and then you can see the failure and the confrontation in Nehemiah 13. Nehemiah confronted the failure of them marrying in an unequally yoked way. And the application of this pertains to those who are married to uphold God's word and lifestyle. It's more than, it's more than don't marry an unbeliever. It means, it means literally to marry somebody who's a believer. But not only that, let the kingdom of God and all the principles work through your whole family. It's not just, come on, marry, don't marry an unbeliever and everything's going to be good. Come on, don't raise your hand now. But I know many people who've married believers and they're on the rocks. Why? Because principles of the Word have not been applied. The very, the very essence of that has not been released uh, in their family. Let me read this to you. Nehemiah 13, 23. I saw Jesus, uh, pardon me, I saw Jews who had married the women of Eshad, Ammon, and Moab. This is Nehemiah speaking. Half of their children spoke the language of Eshad. 
and could not speak the language of Judah. I contended with them and struck them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters and wives to be sons. Wow. Pretty aggressive. Pretty aggressive there, Pastor Nehemiah. Their children couldn't speak Hebrew. You say, what's the big deal about that? The big deal about that is they couldn't study the Word. You can't study the Word if you can't speak Hebrew. So you had a whole generation being raised that didn't even know the Word. What do you say? I'm saying if we're called to be reformers, will you all agree we're called to be a city on a hill? Come on, somebody say amen. We're called to be a light. Those who know their God will do great exploits and shine like stars in the firmament, as it says in the book of Daniel. But here's the thing. This first point, the first thing that Israel coveted with God and with Nehemiah, as well as with Ezra, was to never marry an unbeliever. But the very thing that they did was to marry an unbeliever. And what ended up happening in the family was their kids couldn't even speak Hebrew. They didn't know the Word. Now what happens if you don't... I might preach in a second. What happens if you don't know the Word? You're doomed. Look, I love coming to church. I love feeling goosebumps, all my hair standing on end. I love the presence of God. But that is not what necessarily holds me when the foul wind of hell blows on my life. What holds me is the Word. What holds me is knowing what's true. What keeps my compass point set on the throne is His Word. And if I don't have the Word of God on the inside of me, I'm going to get off compass course. I'm going to get messed up. Now, if you take a boat and you set it on a compass course and you deviate just a few degrees, just a few degrees. Come on, where's my, where's my brother uh, Pat? If you deviate on your flight pan, plan just a few degrees, you're going to end up somewhere where you didn't expect to go. Is that right? The same is true in a boat, and the same is true in your life. You don't live by sight, we live by faith. You say, well, I don't feel like it. My son was telling me. He went through some hurts. He went through a disappointment. And he says, I don't feel like it. I said, feelings have nothing to do with it, son. Feelings got nothing to do with it. You've got to obey the Word. Now, here's the problem. They married unequally, and their families couldn't learn the Word of God because this defilement came in. Are you saying I shouldn't marry an unbeliever? Are you brain damaged? Of course I am. I mean, but I love them. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm going to tell you something. We're training our kids. Are we training our kids to be generals, not peons? Hello. Training to be a general. When I train my kid to be a general, I have to teach them about business. I have to teach them about the Word of God, I should say first, about business, about relationships, about how to be healthy, about how to communicate, how to confront, about how to live. Need to teach them these four things. My kids know absolutely never marry an unbeliever. Listen, over the years I've been in ministry and pastor for about 15 years. I can't tell you the painful counseling times I've had in my office with people who married somebody. Well, I knew he wasn't a believer, but I just thought I'd marry him and then he'd get saved. Can I tell you something? You don't have that promise. Don't do missionary dating. Come on, somebody. Don't do missionary dating. If he's an unbeliever, he's crossed off. If she's an unbeliever, she's crossed. I don't care how good, I don't care how good she looks or how good he looks. It doesn't matter. I'm going to tell you, they're, 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 physiologically, they might just be the, the hottest thing on the planet. That will all change in about 20 years. 
And if you married, if you married for that, you're going to be all out. Hey, 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 I'm going to encourage myself. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. So one of the covenant, so they made four things. The first thing is don't marry an unbeliever. And and they did it. Can I tell you that America has been broken down? I'm just going to bring some application in the midst of all of this. America has been broken down. One of the main ways America has been broken down is through the destruction of family. And it's been subtle at times and not so subtle at other times. You see, we have allowed really the worship of Molech. What are you talking about? You know what they did for Molech? They would sacrifice babies. The whole abortion thing is really the worship of Molech. In other words, I'm just going to, you know, my needs are more important than this little, you know, piece of tissue, they would say. It's just a fetus. No, it's a human being. I saw a bumper sticker on the back of a truck the other day, and it said, I was a fetus that grew up. (laughs) I love that. Don't marry unbelievers. The fullness behind this is you've got to uphold family life. You have to not only not be unequally yoked, as it says in the New Testament as well, but you have to uphold family life. You have to minister to your wife. Women, you need to minister to your husbands. And you need to minister to your kids. You need to have a lifestyle of prayer in your home. You need to stand on the Word of God. You need to read the Word at home. You need to memorize the Word. You say, that's a tall order. Look, if you want the blessing of God, this was all so they could be blessed. (laughs) And they didn't do it. Before I move on to number two, there are many dominoes that will fall. If you don't get this, you say, what do I do if I married an unbeliever now? Well, the word of God talks about that, about how to, how to, if they're willing to live with you and, and you can be a believer, you can win them back through your godly lifestyle and through, through acting Christ-like, whether you be male or female, you can win them. And if they're willing to live with you, then praise the Lord. Hello. He said, well, I don't feel like praising the Lord. Praise him anyway. You're the one that chose him. And, you know, many times I've seen people equally yoked, and then years later somebody turns. Somebody turns and not serving God anymore. Look, you pray for visitation. Make a lifestyle of fasting and prayer. You, you do everything you can to see your spouse saved. That becomes your main ministry, sister, brother. It does. Amen. Now, the second confrontation came from Nehemiah about keeping the Sabbath. They coveted, coveted to keep the Sabbath. Everybody say, keep the Sabbath. And you'll see that in Nehemiah 13, verses 15 through 22. They had a failure of keeping the Sabbath. Now, there's two definitions here. And I've preached a message on the Sabbath, what, what the Sabbath is, what the Sabbath rest. It really, for application, is for us, is that we need to have sacred, a sacred, honored time with God. And there, it really should be every day. But there is a biblical kingdom principle about taking one day off a week. And I don't know that it has to be on Sunday, but that is the time that most churches gather. I mean, we've got church on Tuesday. You can have your Sabbath rest. Really, it should be every day you rest in Jesus. Somebody say Amen. But there really needs to be one day for sure you shut it down. He said, what if I work on the slope? 
I think that God can make allowances, but you, you make sure that you... It's not a legalistic thing. It's a principle. You see, some people think, here's the wrong perception. It's my Sabbath rest, so I'm going to jump in my four-wheeler and go rip up the mountain. I'm on Sabbath rest. Now, Sabbath rest is not recreation. It literally means that you take time, you stop making money. You, you know, you can recreate and have a Sabbath rest, I think, but many people have mistaken Sabbath rest for playing. What you need to do is you need to focus on God. Think about Him. Meditate on Him. You need to get recharged. You know, when's your Sabbath rest? On Monday. Do you take a Sabbath rest? Honestly, I think I've been allowing myself lately to get interrupted. How? Through my cell phone. I'm going to get back to a principle that we did. I'm going to turn my phone off and check my messages in the afternoon. I mean, we want to be there for people, but good God, I don't want to wring myself out like a washcloth and end up with nothing to give anybody. And that is the way many people are because they work all the time. And when it is time for Sabbath rest, they just go hunt, fish, hike, four-wheel, go crazy, come home tired and go back to work. Well, you forgot that you're supposed to really take some sacred time with God. Let Him talk to you. Read the Word. Pray. Meditate. Amen. Meditate on the Word, I mean. Nehemiah 13, watch this. Verse 15, I saw people of Judah treading the winepress on the Sabbath. Verse 16, men of Tyre brought fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah. Verse 17, Then I contended with the nobles in Judah and said, What is this evil thing that you do? Did not your fathers do thus? And did not your God bring all this disaster on this city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. I I commanded the gates to be shut. Now the merchants and the sellers and all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. So here's Nehemiah. Everybody say Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Come on, somebody say the Nehemiah anointing. He saw this as so wicked, he said, that's it. All you merchants. Nehemiah must have been a bad dude. I mean, he had some authority. He's walking around telling everybody what to do, and they're doing it. Amazing. He kicked out the merchants and said, you will not do this on the Sabbath. And and they shut the gates. And these guys once or twice camped out. Come on, you ever see somebody camped out to get the new iPhone 4, that kind of thing, to get the iPhone 5 or whatever? They're just there at midnight. Yeah, it's going to open, you know. Or that that Black Friday, some some materialistic money-making dude made that holiday. I'm at Black Friday. Is black because people go into such debt over over stuff that they sold in a garage sale the week, year before. Anyway, but I can pray in tongues and wait in line. Okay, so so he locks them out, and once or twice they stay outside the city gate. In verse twenty-one, he says, "I warned them." He says, "Why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do this again, I'll lay hands on you." I love that. That's not, let me pray for you. That's lay hands on you. He says, if you do it again, I'm going to give you such a whooping that all your relatives of your take your Moabite tail and get out. Some of you need to kick some people out. They come and rob you, steal from you, latch on to you, try to get your stuff, try to get you a part of their thing, try to suck you into their little Amorite world. You need to have a Sabbath rest. And I'm going to tell you something. When I violate this, I find myself getting stupid. I find my discernment goes out the window. 
I find myself in less patience. I find myself starting to get angry. You violated that? Are you kidding? Yeah. Maybe not as much as you, but you know. You can't violate the Sabbath. Sabbath rest is every day. And I really think you should have time with God every day. Come on, you should tithe on your time. How many hours in a day? 24. I think you should give God two and a half hours. Read the Word, pray, get up early, spend time with Him. But there should be one day where you shut it down. This is part of the commands of being a reformer. One, don't marry unequally. And the principle of that is, yes, don't marry an unbeliever. Teach your kids not to do the same. But let the kingdom of God flow. The principles of the Word in your family. If you don't, you will end up with a cursed family. And that's a whole... I mean, this is a series. I could break it down and make it a series. You, you, you have to have the kingdom of God's principles in your daily life. got to have a family altar. The second thing is, don't break the Sabbath. Rest in God every day. And have one day a week where you turn off and focus on God. Yeah, you can go four-wheeling, I think, but make sure that, you're, that you've got some sacred time set apart for God. You say, well, it's sacred time, and I'm stomping on the gas, ripping over some boulders. Yeah, I understand that. It's awesome. But you really should have some time and God speaks to you and you read the Word and have a Bible plan and work through it. Come on, somebody say amen. It's not about just recreating. The third thing or third principle of these four that they made a covenant with God to do is they committed to giving. Everybody say commit to giving. See, the whole giving thing, now this is interesting. They... They, they committed to gathering the tithes and gathering the, the offerings for the support of the whole worship that was to take place at the temple. And they, they paid singers. And they paid the musicians. They paid the Levites. Now there were Levites. Some Levites did all the worship and all of that. And other Levites were gatekeepers. And you can study this out. Gatekeepers are... Where's my ushers? Wave, wave at me. Where's my ushers? All right, good. So you guys are like gatekeepers. You might not be preaching, but you are. It's different. Where's my greeters at? Are you all smiling today? Huh? Did they smile at you? They, no, they didn't? What? Okay, good. They did. All right. Praise God. These are, hey, hallelujah. These are gatekeeping ministries. It's so important to have them. It's so important. The Levites, they would sing, and they, and they had the, the high priest, of course, who would perform the priestly duties, and, and they would have all of the aspects of cleaning up. I mean, it was a massive slaughterhouse. You know that. I mean, they were, they, were, they, were, they were killing animals and offering blood. I mean, it was just over and over. It was a massive slaughterhouse, and they had a lot of resources went into funding the whole thing. And they made a covenant, we will return the tithe. We will give offerings to see this worship before the throne happen. And they, they, they bailed on it. They quit giving. Nehemiah 13, verse 10. I also realized that portions, that's the financial support for the Levites, had not been given them. And each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to the field. In other words, they've gone back to, to working and forsake the ministry because they didn't get help and support. Now, I thank God that's not the case in this house. We're believing for 100% tithers. The way that God has blessed the people and the, and the, the, the contractors and the businesses, the people are being elevated, people are being promoted. Come on, God is doing a great thing here. I'm just telling you, we ought to just have a testimony night and blow everybody's mind should hear all the testimonies of healing and miracles and provision and unique ideas and breakthrough of people that are walking in agreement with God. 
These guys quit. You know, there's churches across America are quitting. I had a friend of mine, David. I lived with him for a season. And uh, he became a pastor about 10 years before I did. Went through ministry school. And, and, and his church failed. The guy could preach. He could pray. He was a holy man of God. And his church failed. And his church failed because he refused to teach people about giving. He refused to teach them about tithing. And he just said, well, they're going to read their word, and I don't want to offend anybody. And we're just, I, I just said, you know, what? Dude, you're, you're the one that's responsible for teaching them. You've got to teach people. Listen, if you don't tithe and you don't give, and you wonder why you're busted and disgusted and walking around and you got curses and stuff, just look at yourself in the mirror. It's not my fault. I'm telling you. Do it. He said, I, all of, he's just trying to get my money. God doesn't need your money. It doesn't make a difference to me other than in my heart for you, whether you tithe or not. I'm on a salary and I'm thankful. Praise God. Whether you tithe or not doesn't affect my home other than spiritually. I want you blessed. I want you blessed. These are principles that they signed and agreed to. One, don't be unequally yoked. Don't marry unbelievers, which is the kingdom principle for your whole family. Two, what's number two? Keep the Sabbath rest. What's number three? Give. They they stopped giving. Oh. Nehemiah understood the significance of establishing worship. I'm coming to understand. I think they fully understand. Maybe not fully, but I'm coming to understand the significance of us birthing this twenty four hour, seven day a week prayer center. A church that doesn't close. That's new. Some of you are hearing that for the first time. We do that we will not close. You say, Really? Yeah, we started Wednesday through Wednesday through Friday, six to eight. We've got prayer time. It's worship led prayer. It is our desire and believe that God has given us a mandate to bring forth twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, worship because he's worthy. And I'm gonna tell you that's what David did. It's called the tabernacle of David. The restoration of the tabernacle of David in these last days is taking place. I believe that God has called us to do that at this house. But it's going to take resources. It takes people getting involved. It takes people tithing and people giving and people being a part of it. And it really all lines up to syncs up with what's taking place in heaven. Do you know in heaven it never stops? The worship, prayer never, ever, ever, ever stops. They don't go home. It's, it, it just happens 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Angels flying around with two wings. They, the angels cover their face. Two wings, they, they cover their feet. And with two, they fly. Why would they cover their face? Because when you see God, He's so awesome, you just blow up. The glory of God is so amazing. Have you seen it? Only in portions, maybe. A small degree. For no man can see Him and, and live. Because it's only dead men that see Him. And when, if you don't die to your finances, die to your own desires, die, come on to those things of the flesh. I'm talking about desires that want to pull you down the primrose path. Some of you have been hoodwinked. You think, well, I'm just going to go after it and it's going to be good. No, you've forgotten the fact that if you seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, He adds all things. You want the all things. God wants you to have all things. He makes 
things for your enjoyment and your pleasure. And at His right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. And if you don't learn to do these things, we will never, ever reform Alaska. We have to learn to, to marry right and to, and to have the principles of God working in our family. We have to keep the Sabbath rest. You have to get refreshed. Thirdly, you have to give. You've got to be a part of that. This day and night prayer thing that they had back, back then in Nehemiah's day, it's important. It's important for us to do that. Come on, look at number four. The fourth confrontation came. They'd committed themselves to not have unholy alliances or significant partnerships. Oh, my God. This is... Have I, 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 I have learned some lessons in my life. And if you could please hear me now, I will save you through the Word of God a whole lot of pain. Nehemiah confronted them because they were making unholy alliances. What do you mean? They're walking in agreement with people they should never have walked in agreement with because they're from two different sides. One was light. One was dark. This includes ministry. It includes business. Alliances in business. It includes personal. Israel been committed to God to not allow people of other faiths to participate in temple celebrations. You'll see that. We read that in Nehemiah 13. The mixed multitudes were mixed religions. You say, we're, we're not supposed to partner with them. You're supposed to love them. You're supposed to witness to them. But you are absolutely, positively not supposed to partner with somebody who's, who has another God. And if they say their God is Jesus, there's lots of people that define Jesus, different Jesus than you and I serve. Just because they say, I love Jesus, doesn't mean they really love Jesus. Just because somebody says, hallelujah, means nothing. You watch them, how they live. Check their track record. Are you saying we're supposed to judge one another? Yeah, you're supposed to inspect somebody's fruit before you sign in the dotted line and shake their hand and commit your life to working with them. Yeah, yeah, you are. I've known, I've known people in the church in times past, people in the church who've made deals with people in the church through a handshake and watched one person gut the other one like a salmon on a summer day. Hey, well, that's not what I said. That's not what I meant. I'm going to tell you, you, you do any business with anybody in this day and age because the days are dark. I know we're supposed to be a burning, shining lamp for the Lord. Like a John the Baptist, we're supposed to be a city on a hill. Don't you do one piece of business with somebody without a signed agreement. It's foolish. I want you to look at this, Nehemiah 13. See, these mixed multitudes were coming to deceive, not to receive. They were coming to rip them off. And they had a, hundreds of years of history of how people from other cultures and other gods would come and cause problems over and over and over. And we think in the New Testament that it's just all good. So you can just partner up with anybody that calls himself a Christian. Christian is as Christian does. It means Christ-like. And if somebody doesn't live like Christ, they ought to change their name. How many of you still come on? Somebody say, I'm a work in progress. Hallelujah. You've got to keep your heart right. Nehemiah 13. Elishib, the priest, having authority over the storerooms. This is where the offerings would be stored. This is the money for them. 
authority over the storerooms of the house of God was aligned with Tobiah, an Amorite. And he had prepared for a large room for him where previously they had stored the tithes, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and the singers, right? Which they stopped doing, and now these guys aren't in ministry anymore. And guess what's not happening? The expression of God and the release of his kingdom in the earth. Because they're all in the field now. But during all this, I love how he says this in verse 6, but during all this, I was not in Jerusalem. In other words, he said, I wasn't there because I had to kick some tail. I wasn't there. I had returned to the king. He returned to the king at about 433 B.C. Then after certain days, I came to Jerusalem and discovered the evil that Elishab had done for Tobiah, and it, was, and it grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I threw all the household's goods of Tobiah out the room. All right. Here's what happens. There's two visits of Nehemiah. The first visit, he comes, they rebuild the walls, and he calls them to purity. He calls them to this covenant, especially, significantly, these four things that I'm teaching you this morning. He re- reforms society. He goes back to his job. Everybody say, he goes back. He goes back to his cupbearer position. Ten years pass now. This is... Chapter 13 is 10 years after they made the covenant agreement and had a celebration and said, we're going to obey or God, you curse us. 10 years goes by. He returns. And when he returns, he's like, where's all the, where's the music? I mean, where, what, what's going on here? Where's the Levites? And he walks into the temple and he's like, what is, what in, what in heaven's name is happening? And he's looking around And he looks where the tithes are supposed to be. And this guy, Tobiah. Now, let's talk about who Tobiah is. Previously, Sanballat. If you speak Tagalog, it's Sanballat. Sanballat and Tobiah. They were his arch enemies. They tried to kill Nehemiah. They tried to kill him. He comes back ten years later. And team Tobias all up in the temple. An Amorite. Not a believer even. Bad if it would be a believer. Even worse. A Gentile now in the temple. Not only defiling the temple, but in the place where the tithes were stored for the release of resource to see the temple go forth. An unholy alliance. You say, how in God's name could the murderer dude get put in the place there. How could that happen? Now you can read about how Sanballat and Tobiah fiercely resisted Nehemiah in Nehemiah 4 as well as in Nehemiah 6. Nehemiah 4 verse 7 when Sanballat and Tobiah the Ashadites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored. Verse 8 all of them conspired to and they attacked Jerusalem. God gave them a plan. And he overcame. You see, what had happened is that this guy, Tobiah, had become very strong politically and gave economic favor to the nobles of Judah who made pledges to him. Nehemiah 6, verse 17, In those days the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, for many in Judah were pledged to him.
see some of you will partner with people. If you could hear me now, let this burn in your heart. I will save you a lot of pain. A lot of pain. I don't care how good it is. If it ain't in, if it isn't God kind of good, if it isn't righteous, do not do it. I feel led to share just one story with you. I had the opportunity through uh, through a man, a man of God, who I think was sincerely deceived. So I don't think he wasn't a man of God. I had an opportunity really to uh, make a lot of money and to see a release of resources for me and my family, which we needed. And so we began moving forward with this guy, and I, I prayed, and I felt really good about it, except for about 10%. I hate that. Don't you hate that, the 10%? You're like, this is a dream, except I don't have 100% peace. Oh, but it was so good that I figured the 10% would get saved. Huh? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? So, okay, so so I started moving forward. I'm going to move forward. And, you know, if it really starts bothering me, I'll back out. So I moved forward, and I kept believing that 10% would get saved. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm just believing that, you know, finally my heart will engage. Because, of course, this is so good that God wants to do this for me. This is the bomb. This is, I mean, my God. You're Jehovah Jireh, my provider, your grace is sufficient for me. You know, I'm just like, yeah, God, come on. It's it, ah, yeah, I'm a tither. God's going to come through for me. And the Lord's saying, don't do it. It's not me. And I thought, I bind you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 You're going to turn it all around. Yeah, so I kept moving forward. Kept moving forward. Do you know what happened after the still small voice? The dove is a picture of the Holy Spirit. A Middle Eastern dove will come and be scared away from its food source once. It'll return. It'll get scared away twice. It'll return a third time. When it gets scared away that time, it is not coming back. Amazing. The Middle Eastern dove is the only dove with tail with its wings that point to the head. Nine main uh, wing feathers signifying the, 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 the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's five feathers, tail feathers, that keep it all balanced which I believe represent the five-fold ministry, all pointing to the head, which is Jesus. The, the, the Holy Spirit is, is, is pictured by the dove. The Holy Spirit is not a dove. It's not a it. It's a person. But the Holy Spirit will speak to you and say, Dude, don't do it. And you'd be like, No, no, no. This is going to work out. Okay, well, I did the no, no, no thing. It was probably three times. Soon, I didn't hear the still small voice. And so I moved forward with this thing. I remember getting counsel from Dr. Morocco. I love Dr. Morocco's counsel. It's amazing to me. I said, Doctor, here's the deal. This is what I'm, this is what I'm doing. I've prayed about it. I feel good, mostly. And, I've, you know, it's going to be good. And uh, hallelujah. What do you think? And he, he, he's shut up. Praise. Don't miss the 15. It's our spiritual dad around here. It's going to be awesome. Don't miss it. And he says, uh, Daniel? Just make sure you're doing the right thing. Make sure you feel 100% good about it. I'm like, yeah, okay. But I mean, is it good? I mean, I don't want you to tell me, you know, is it good? He's like, well, you just keep in mind. He said a fascinating thing. He said, Daniel, just keep in mind that God is using you and you're a part of a team. And whatever happens to you will happen to the whole team. And I thought, oh, that's a little heavy responsibility. 
part of the team of 75 churches. What happens to me happens to all of them. I don't think I like that too much, but that's the way it is. And so I, I go, okay, okay, should I do it? He says, well, you pray and talk to God and he'll tell you. I said, let's pretend that I really am your son. Pretend I'm Joshua. That's what I said to him. Pretend I'm Josh, who's now Pastor Josh. Tell me, do you think you should do that? He, he just laughs. He goes, you've got to pray. You've got to pray. It might, it, might, it might work out. It might work out, but you've got to pray. God will tell you. I thought, thanks. Great. Praise God. I move forward. I move forward. We're talking about unholy alliances. God warned me of it the whole time, but it just seemed too good. I'll never forget when I got down, it was the final signature of the final paper of the final deal. Karen didn't feel so good about it, but I was leading my house. Hallelujah. I go to sign the, I'm on the, I'm in the guy's office. I'm signing the final document and I'm just like, I start trembling Lord says, I told you, don't do it. I went, holy smokes, but I was already fully engaged. And I told him, I can't sign it. He's all, what? Yeah, I don't don't know. Sorry. (laughs) He's all, I got to go. I'm sorry. And I left. And the Lord spoke to me and said, you've disobeyed me. I tried to tell you. And then I just heard the sucking sound. I think it was on a Friday or a Saturday. I think it was a Friday that that happened. All I heard was, and I felt no unction, no anointing. Now, all of a sudden, I didn't have the fire. I didn't, like right now, I, f- I feel the presence of God. I feel His presence. I didn't feel that. And I pressed in and I couldn't. I felt like, oh my gosh, I've disobeyed. And I felt like, none of this story comes to mind where Dr. Morocco said, if you ever lose the anointing, you're finished. I thought, I've lost the anointing. I remember crying that night. I remember weeping and trying to get a message, man. It was all cardboard and junk. I mean, I couldn't get anything to preach to the church on Sunday morning. And so I pull out some old thing, dust it off. I thought, I'm going to preach this. And the Lord's like, no, you're not. Yes, I am. nearly as I can remember. I felt no presence in worship. Everybody else getting touched by God. It's all great. I don't feel any presence at all. I felt no presence. It came time for me to preach. I'm here at this point. I'm here. I'm like, oh God, forgive me, Jesus. Can you just please, because I'm just going to quit, God, because I can't do this with no anointing. I'm not going to do it. I don't want to play church. I hate playing church. I hate it. I hate it. I'm just not going to do it without unction. And so it's time for me to preach. You know, I, I go to get up there. I've got my little Bible. No anointing, no anointing, no anointing, no anointing. I got to here and began to feel his presence, began to feel the fire, put my Bible down, and the Lord said, Son, be very careful who you align yourself with. Do the right thing, always. Don't be enticed. And I just sat there. I thought, yes, I'll do it, 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 I'll do it. There's no deal that's, if it's too good to be true, <laughs> it is too good to be true. Israel made an unholy alliance and caused themselves much pain. Nehemiah came, saw, saw all the stuff of Tobias, 
opened up the window and threw homie's stuff right out the window into the street. Threw his stuff, threw his mattress, huh? Threw his, threw his olive press, threw all his goodies out in the curb. He threw his stuff to the curb. And then it then says that then Judah began to bring in all the tithes. I know for a fact that it's not the, not the case in this house. But I want to tell you that some of you don't see the great release of provision because you're yoked with a Tobiah. You're all hooked up with somebody who's going to help you in business. Well, don't, don't, we, don't, we, don't we like, aren't we supposed to be a part of them? You're supposed to love them. You're supposed to witness to them. You're supposed to, yeah, I mean, look, if you're working for somebody who just doesn't know God, that's different. Okay, I, I think, I personally could never work for a bar, okay? Serving people to get wasted on spirits. I couldn't do it. I just couldn't. My, my, that would be a violation for me. I'm not serving alcohol for people to get drunk. Okay, but I've been a waiter. You can work for somebody, but if it begins to violate, look, you love them, you be Christ to them, you're like a, a bond servant of the Lord, you work unto the Lord, and when you're working for somebody who doesn't know the Lord, well, maybe they can know the Lord by you doing a good job. But if it begins to bring you to a place where you're violating your principles of the Word, you're violating your conscience, you better change that. Because if you don't, you'll end up under it, messed up. Are you getting anything this morning? God's called us to be reformers. I need to conclude this message. God's called us to be reformers. God's speaking to us. Look at, look at your notes. So you, you love people. You love everybody. But when it comes to partnerships, when it comes to allegiances, you do not be yoked with somebody who's not a believer. Well, that really limits my options. I heard one guy said, you know something? If you're going to have some contracting work done, just make sure you don't get any from the church. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Somebody said that. And the sad thing is it can be true because there's Christians that take stuff and they call it Christian borrowing or they'll just forgive me or I can do a shoddy job. I'm going to tell you, if you're doing something for a brother, you better do exceedingly above and beyond the call of duty. You better do a really, really good job because you're working under the Lord. All right, God, God is speaking to us. So in significant business ventures, don't be yoked with people who are, who, who are unbelievers. All right, God speaking to us. God longs for His people to live with the abundant life. You, do you want, how many of you want to have the abundant life? You want to have the abundant life? You really got to do these four things. And all of the principles, I mean, there's so much. Thank you, Pastor. There's so much in here. But the reason that God wanted them to do these things is so that He could bless them. Come on, God wants to bless you. He's not trying to hem you in so you can have some miserable life where He controls you. He doesn't control you. You control you. And He wants you to be led by His Spirit. He wants you to have a blessed life. Come on, somebody. Commit to living holy. Everybody say, commit to living holy. You can do it. You can live holy. He's given you the Holy Spirit. Be holy for I'm holy. Everybody say that. Be holy for I'm holy. I had a change of perspective on that in my life, and it was this. I thought it was like the Lord saying, Be holy because I'm holy. I thought, Yes, God, I'm going to be holy. Oh, Heavenly Father. I, my, my, my view changed. My view changed. My lens for that changed. It's like the Lord looks now and He says to me, 
son, you can be holy because I live on the inside of you. You can do it. It's different. Come on, somebody say Jesus lives on the inside of me. Yeah, see, you can live holy. You can. You can live holy. You can be a person of prayer. You study the book of Nehemiah, you'll see at every juncture, Nehemiah prayed. Nehemiah prayed. Nehemiah prayed. Sanballat and Tobiah show up. Nehemiah prayed. God gave him a strategy. Somebody holds a trowel, the other people hold a sword, and they rebuild the walls as families. God gave him a strategy. How? Through prayer. How? Through prayer. How? Through prayer. you got to be a person of prayer. If you're going to walk in all that God has, if we're going to be reformers, if we're going to be people that transform Wasilla, transform our nation, we have to be a people of prayer. It will not happen without prayer. In fact, the whole thing was about causing the temple to rise in worship and prayer. The whole thing was about people coming together so that the fires on the altar would never go out. That's what it was about. So that God's expression of His of His kingdom power would be in a place where people could experience Him. Everybody say, be a Nehemiah. The Nehemiah anointing. Nehemiah had an eternal perspective, and you see it in this, this prayer here in Nehemiah 13, verse 14. Remember me, O God, concerning this. Do not wipe out my good deeds that I've done for the house of God, for it serves you. Remember me, verse 22. Remember me, O God, concerning this. Also spare me according to the greatness of your mercy. My brothers and sisters, beloved, God has called us to be the head and not the tail. You must raise the standard and take a look at your life and say, Now, are you single people that haven't married yet? You need to choose rightly. You need to pray. You don't base it upon somebody's looks. I will tell you, base it based upon their character, their heart for God and their character. You're going to be perfect because we're all working things out. One of the things I still love about my wife is she has a heart for God. She tells us she got a she just has the spirit of truth. She just you know and that you know thank you Karen. I'm just too stupid to pick a winner like you. Jesus help me man. I pray. I pray. Who said amen? What's up with that? And then God's changed us as we've cried out. And we've just done some really foolish things. And everything, you know, all this stuff on here, I've violated every one of them. The first one, yeah, prior to me being saved, I knew better. I'm going to tell you the pain that I went through, through divorce, the pain that I went through because I, because I married, because I thought it was the right thing and it absolutely wasn't the right thing, I blew it. It's part of me being saved, but still. I knew in my spirit, oh, this is going to be a nightmare. I did it anyway. Do you know I still pay for that failure, that mistake? Oh, I'm forgiven. I have consequences still today. And I have had for the past 20 years. So what consequences are those? I've got two daughters that I don't get to see. One day. 21, 20. 22, 21, pardon me. Still don't get to see them. I haven't seen them since they were tried. Did everything I could in my physical power to see them. 
So then you, now you have two girls that have not had a father. She never remarried. They've not had a father. And his family destruction continuing, even to this day, may they find the Lord because I didn't do the right thing. And so the curse perpetuates in the generations. But it's going to, come on, it's not going to perpetuate in my new family now. Come on, and my kids are going to do the right thing. We just told Hannah, hey, you asked you ask my daughter, who's going to pick your husband? My dad? I guess that's right. Amen. We used to just leave it that way for a while. Now we've added this because it's true. Dad, Mom, Danny, and Jesus, of course. See, that's a little controlling. Sure is. <laughs> Isn't that a little controlling? I don't know. It might be. You working out with your family. I'm doing what the Holy Ghost wants me to do, man. I, I'm going to do the, I'm going to do it. You say, you can control your daughter to not marry an unbeliever? I'm going to teach her. There's no way she'd want to partner with a mess like that. Why would she do that? I'm going to teach them. You didn't teach your kids. All right. I'm done. Did you get something? Stand up on your feet. Come on, stand up on your feet. Let's commit to do these four things. Commit to being a reformer. Commit to seeing a birthing of prayer that the church would take off. It's all about the kingdom of God. The whole thing is about seeing His kingdom released in the earth. That's what it's about. Lift your hands and call on the name of Jesus. 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 Oh, call on the name of Jesus. Call on the name. Call on the name of Jesus. He's going to help you. He's going to strengthen you today. Now, if you've messed up in some of these four areas, what do you do? Repent. Ask God to forgive you. Ask God to forgive you. Start. Look, today is the first day of the rest of your life. Start over. Come on, somebody say start over. Yeah. Yeah. When I was a kid, we used to take a tennis ball and throw it up on the roof, and it would bounce, and we would catch it. And, and it was called out, O-U-T. If you missed it, you'd spin the ball and do all kinds of stuff. But occasionally, the ball would end up in the gutter. And when it ended up in the gutter, you know, you'd throw it and you'd go, Pastor Vince! And you'd like running out of the way and Pastor Vince would come and try to grab the ball. But if the ball ended up in the gutter, it's called a do-over. I don't know about you, but I wound up in the gutter and I got a do-over. Come on, some of you, some of you got to start today. Today's the first day the rest of your life. You don't have to keep making foolish decisions. You can live for God. You can live for God. He can help you. Yes, He can. Yes, He can. Call on the name of Jesus. Call on His name. Call on the name. He'll wipe away your tears and help you. Call on the name of Jesus. 
call on the name of Jesus. Come on. Put your arm around your family. Call on the name. If they're not here, just hold them in the spirit. Call on the name of Jesus. Call on the name of Jesus. Call on his name. Call on the name of Jesus. I see a tremendous Amy and your whole family. I see I see some things for you. I see I see the Lord coming upon you in a, a tremendous way. Spirit of might, spirit of counsel, all of you, that God has partnered you together in this next season and you are going to see tremendous releases of my grace says the Lord. I'm coming to you. I'm coming to your loved ones. I'm coming to your families. As you partner and as you pray, I'm going to break through on the right and I'm going to break through on the left, says the Lord. I've done a unique thing in your family and it's for this season. Do not be dismayed. Do not be weary in well-doing. For in due time, you will see the harvest of the prayers that you've prayed even in days gone by. And I've gathered you together as one man now contending for the faith. And as you pray, and I see you having prayer times in your home together, set aside some time to pray together and watch and see what I will do. If one can put a thousand to flight, two can put ten thousand, and I have more than two here. And I'm going to launch an offensive against the enemy, says God, through your prayers, and you will see change in even the hardest of hearts. And I'm going to release, I'm going to release that which I said I would release. I'm going to do that which I said I would do. Do not be weary, says the Lord. Receive a fresh strength in your inner man today. By the word of the Lord, be strengthened with might in the name of Jesus. Be strengthened with fire in the name of Jesus. That's it. Woo! Do it. Call on the name. Call on the name of Jesus. Come on, church is almost over. Call on His name. Call on the name. Yeah, yeah, yes. Call on the name of Jesus. And call on the name of Jesus. Do you got the four things? Don't marry an unbeliever, which means the kingdom principles in your family. It's the whole family. They got to be intact. Number two, the Sabbath rest. Take time with God every day and have one day off. You cannot work seven days a week. Guys that are on the slope, I think there can be a grace to do that. Maybe you have, you know, two real days of pressing in. You know, you're working 18 hours or something. Two days or something pressing in where you really set aside and you focus on God. Have a prayer life. And, of course, the Sabbath rest in Jesus is every day. It's not a day. It's every day. But... Have a day where you really turn off and go for God. What's the third thing? Give. Tithe and give. You say, I can't afford it. You can't afford not to. What do you mean? Budget. Back off on the Starbucks thing. Figure it out. Make a budget. Make a budget. 
Save all of your receipts for the month. See what you're doing. Watch where you're spending your money. Learn to be a good steward. Tithe. Give. Support the support the ministry. Tithe. Give. Come on, somebody. Amen. Be a giver. Help people. Give alms. You know what that means? When you see somebody needs money and you got some in your pocket, just slip it to them. Don't tell anything about it. Hey, what's up? A little Pentecostal handshake. Give them a little money. Bless them. Come on, somebody, somebody. Who needs money in here right now? Right now. You need money now. Ira in the back. Come on, don't unashamed. You need a financial breakthrough. You reach out and bless somebody. I don't care if it's a loaf of bread, a small fry from McDonald's. Do something. Give to the next level. If you want to go higher, you've got to throw off ballast. You know what ballast is? Hold you down. Give. Be a giver. Everybody say be a giver. And the fourth thing is, don't have unholy alliances. Now, God spoke directly to some of you business people. You need to correct it. Point is a, it's a very pointed word for this house, businesses. It is a pointed word. What do you mean pointed? It's a bronze-tipped arrow from heaven to save you pain. Heed, heed the word of the Lord. Don't do it. I think you can buy and sell and you can partner with them at some levels, but you can't yoke fully. In other words, you share bank accounts and you know you partnered with them. See, what if you're already in that? You pray hard that God would protect your decision to, to partner with them and God would help you how to change it. You gotta change it. Because in the days that are yet ahead, things could get darker and people get weirder that don't know Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're not right with God, we want to give you an opportunity to give your heart to Jesus. If that's you, just slip your hand up now. Let's affirm our faith. Those online, come on, just pray. Say, Dear Jesus, thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for rising again from the grave. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. Would you lift your hands as a sign of surrender to God? Holy Spirit, touch, fill, strengthen your people. Make us to be a people who bring reform, transformation in the church, transformation in our homes, individually, in our families, and transformation in the community, transformation in our nation, reformation. Bring a reformation, I pray. In this time of great pressure, why we're under pressure, raise up Nehemiahs. Raise up Nehemiahs, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Take someone by the hand. There's a Candy Lane meeting directly after our closing time here. We need help. If you want to help with that outreach, you come. It'll be in about 10 minutes after we close right now. Come on, pray for the person on your right, person on your left. God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're doing, and thank you for what you're going to do. I pray that you would bless your people, that you would give them wisdom, a spirit of wisdom and revelation and discernment. And God, that you would help those that are in sticky situations, Lord, to get out and to, and to, to walk rightly before you. I pray, God, for restoration of that which has been stolen, even from...
poor choices in relationships and partnerships. I pray, God, for the single people here that they would choose rightly their spouse. And then, God, for all of us to walk in the Sabbath rest, to walk in your rest, Jesus, but also to have a time where we really set aside a holy, sacred time to seek you. We'd not be unequally yoked. Lord, we'd not have unholy alliances. God, if we would be givers, I pray for 100% tithers in this house and that you would bless them exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all they could ask or imagine. Bless your people. Cause your face to shine upon them. Lift up your countenance towards them. Be gracious to them. Keep them. Give them peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't miss tonight. Pastor Vince going to bring it. Pastor Vince preaching tonight at 6 o'clock. We love you. God bless you.